1: I'm Adam McGee, and
2: I'm Andrew Snyder,
1: and you're listening to Captured and and Make Time for This, probably part of the Eurostep Podcast Network and the Blue R Podcast family, and on this episode, we are here to talk about the Entry century in what might now be the greatest kind of long-running action series, thriller, spy series, I don't know, there's some competition, there's... Some of the better franchises uh live in this space. But we are of course talking about Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part One. And we're excited to do so. Andrew, how are you doing?
2: Great, never better. Love life. Uh love talking to you about movies. Uh it's also Barbie Oppenheimer weekend coming up. Unfortunately, you know, I did, told you offline I had planned to see Barbie tonight, but with my uh my son dog Freddie being in a crate for around six hours today due to work, it's not going to happen. But I will get those watched. I got Mission Impossible watched last weekend. Had a great time at the uh, cinema. Love to see big action movies on screen. Love to see Tom Cruise running around, jumping off mountains. It's what the movies are for, Adam. Big, 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 and yeah, one of the most reliably entertaining action series going right now. Um. Well, into its uh, lifespan. And as we know from other franchises, things can go terribly, terribly wrong towards the end. But these guys are still chugging along.
1: They are. And if, I mean, if it ever kind of went wrong, it went wrong pretty early on. <laughs> I think it's not even controversial. Most people agree. Mission Impossible, if it lost its way, it lost its way. Mission Impossible 2, which is a rare spot. a franchise this long running um, but you know the jump from Brian De Palma to John Woo is certainly an interesting one and two very bold visual visionary filmmakers but maybe just too much from two different directions and you're trying to shape what a franchise is and in spite of that and maybe in part because of that Mission Impossible has become a very, very steady franchise with a very clear identity. And where I'm going with that, I think, is... It is interesting to think of this as a series that started with, like, what it's now Consensus, known as one of the better Brian De Palma films. um, And you've got a big, heavyweight auteurist director. And yet, that is very far from what the franchise has become. And maybe it's because they made that choice to go with John Woo that it actually set up something that was so different that you don't get that kind of continuity from one to another. And you've ultimately got to settle on, well, what is it about these movies that works? What is the anchor here? And if it wasn't already apparent because of who the star was, that made it apparent. It's like, Oh, this is Tom Cruise. And uh, as has been apparent for, uh, for movie fans for quite some time now, for all the other stuff that goes along with Tom Cruise for, Tom Cruise's, uh, we'll say, larger-than-life personality and, you know, personal life and uh, beliefs and all that kind of stuff. Uh, when it comes to movies, it's his world and we're all living in it. And he has done an exceptional job of shepherding this franchise along and developing partnerships over time, whether that's partnerships that has seen the cast take shape Some of those are people who were there from the start. Others we've seen join on the journey along the way and really kind of embed themselves and feel completely essential to what it is. Um, And then also off-screen. And Cruz's partnership with Christopher McQuarrie has certainly delivered in a wide variety of ways and they've done a lot of good stuff together and likely will continue to do so. Um, But McQuarrie going from certainly one of the better writers in Hollywood to continuing to be that but also a great action director has helped to solidify and kind of just i guess kind of give the rubber seal of approval to yeah mission impossible is where it's at i think if there was any doubt about this and i will say would i have put myself down as the biggest mission impossible fan like as a series a few years ago if you asked me i definitely would not and part of that comes down to, I think a way that I used to feel about Cruise on screen, uh, fallout changed that. And I don't think it's anything close to a take to say that fallout kind of changed a lot. It's a very kind of significant film in terms of the action cinema of the past 15, 20 years. And it really kind of revitalized and reawoken and re- reawakened even, um, the wider public, I guess to, uh, to oh this is a big tom cruise film and he's doing it bigger and better than everyone and you know what we should go and see this and basically everyone's gonna have a great time at it. and it feels like it's set up what we end up seeing with top gun maverick to some extent in that kind of communal experience and this is the next chapter of that where he's back with dead reckoning he's battled true COVID 19 as all those set leaks uh certainly made clear for everyone to keep the industry alive with all the responsibilities and this is the film they delivered we'll get into the specifics of the film in just a few moments I guess before that though but let, let's talk a little bit about the franchise more widely or our relationships to it um have you always been a mission impossible guy or a big mission impossible guy or how would you describe your feelings towards the franchise
2: I uh, wore out a Mission Impossible VHS when I was growing up, uh, the original. Uh, And then from that point, every time I saw a Mission Impossible movie, I think I'm remembering this correctly, I was late to the party. And I was just like, you know, this this is what it is, it's fine. The original was the best. You know, at that time, I don't think I was being like, you know, Brian De Palma really brings an elevated craft to the Mission Impossible franchise, and they just haven't recreated anything close since. I don't think I was thinking that as like a a kid growing up. Uh, But on kind of a binge watch a few years ago, or a year, who knows, time after COVID, who knows? that I thought was for a podcast, and then scrolling through our feed, it was not. I just did it for whatever reason. Uh, probably being like, Yeah, dead reckoning's coming in a year or two, or whenever it was. I need to be prepared. Uh, with uh, Rogue Nation and, and Fallout, and he, I think Ghost Protocol was pretty good as well. I, I, I was kind of more in on it and just like got to the point where I was like, All right, uh, if they come out with one of these every three to five years or whatever the cadence ends up being, I'm in. Like, this is just, like, a the type of action movie that, like, really works for me. I love the ensemble cast um, that developed kind of uh, when it took on the, the second life of what it, this would be for a decade. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it just all really works for me. And it's, you know, not typically the kind of thing that I'm, like, jazzed up for like oh this is the what's my math this is the 7th or 8th movie of this series and like let's let's get it but here we are and I think uh, like you said Macquarie and Cruz have kind of just de- developed this secret sauce that we, they keep coming back to the well for
1: I kind of think it is sort of this kind of thing that I can get jazzed up for to use your, your turn of phrase I mean It's very rare that something gets to this point that's like Mission Impossible, where I mean, this is IP, but even when the first film was made, it's a tenuous link to the TV series. And I don't know if all of the audience who went to see the first Mission Impossible were doing so because, God, they're making a show out of the Mission Impossible TV series. I gotta see that. It's kind of organically become a franchise in that. People liked it, went to see it, responded to it well. Its star liked making them, and it just kind of has kept going and going and going. It's pretty rare for an action franchise to get to this point and still be going. I guess in a way, Fast and Furious is a franchise that's going to that point. Um Might feels have been very what I was referring to earlier. Feels <laughs> very different though. But but like we're what well, I'm kind of thinking of and I'm like, yeah, I'm excited a new mission impossible is coming out. I felt the same way about John Wick earlier in the year. And I I think that's another example, too. And it's kind of like. It's an interesting time to have this conversation right on. Not even on the eve. I mean, by the time people are listening, Barbie and Oppenheimer out in the world and it's. The biggest, most high profile weekend for movies that. Honestly, I can remember, like, I, I can't remember a level of mainstream kind of interest where just movies had penetrated the culture to the point where it's like, it's everywhere, where something like Barbenheimer being a pretty annoying meme at this point could possibly be that. Like, that's it's been a long time. But generally, when that kind of eventized spirit of, oh, blockbuster filmmaking is, it's like, it's Avengers movies or it's whatever. So it being... Mission Impossible or when it's John Wick, it's like it does feel like there's something there. I I don't say like I am the world's biggest like action cinema fan or fan of action is maybe somewhat I mean this is espionage, it's thriller, but let's let's simplify it under those terms, and it's like that's not necessarily like I'm not I'm not looking to see the worst version of those movies. I'm not going to see whatever like Gerard Butler movies out in like February or that kind of thing you know you can miss me with that generally but at this level am I excited yes I am and about as much as anything because it feels like one of those times where it's like yeah you know what this is you know giant bucket of popcorn big drink sit back and like have a lot of fun with it and when we get into the specifics and I think it's been the case for a while it's like you know what these ones are funny they're trilling. They're very well constructed. They are super, super high camp, which I do kind of want us to touch on. Like, they are getting away with people loving them and them being critically acclaimed, while also being just the absolute silliest films to, you know, to have reached that kind of status in a long, long time. I mean, outwardly silly, not like silly if you take away any kind of imagination, these are, just, these are just silly. It's not even a word I use often. It's the only word to use for a lot of what happens in these movies. But you know what it works, because everything else is there. It's like, you can look past that if you're invested in the characters, if the character work is good enough, if you're laughing regularly, if the big kind of action set pieces, if they're choreographed, if they are stunts you've never seen before, or if they have that kind of old school extra quality always. I, I think the car chase sequence in Rome we'll talk about in new films, a good example of it's like just a very funny sequence, like trilling, fun, exciting, but also it's just like, it's written for humor and written quite well for humor. The setup is there where it's like, yeah, this is just, it works. You're doing a lot with it. You're doing a lot more than unfortunately we've come to be accustomed to with big blockbusters and Mission Impossible has just become like that kind of hallmark of quality for that kind of film. And um I think something that for more mainstream audiences and people who don't go to the movies as often, it's like, yeah, we'll come out for that. And part of that to the franchise's credit, to Cruz's credit, to Macquarie's credit increasingly, is like it's a name people can trust. It's not just, oh well, we're invested. We need to know all of the lore of all of these characters. It's just like, no, no, it's Mission Impossible. I know I'm going to have a fun time. I know there is a baseline of quality that's there. Which just again doesn't really apply to a lot of films of this ilk. So that in its own right is, is very interesting. Um, and I was just kind of eagerly awaiting this because Fallout was great. I For me Mission Impossible the DePaulo film not surprising people listen is the best film in this franchise. Fallout is pretty damn close though. And to have Reach that point where you're like, it feels like a pretty healthy thing to be like, yeah, we got a long running franchise that's continually successful and popular, and the two best movies of it might be one and six. That's a good spot to be in if you can do that. Um, I don't think seven challenges either done, but I had a really good time. I just had a lot of fun. I'm like, yeah, this is exactly I guess what there should be a movie like this every june july where people go in numbers and have a great time
2: uh yeah i think i had the same response that you did to this one i have no idea i cannot remember what you scored it on the app that we frequent uh but that's neither here nor there but okay we were on the same page four stars four stars um uh but there's a like a point you make about kind of just the camp obviously and and the fun and like the like you said there's these like well designed and put together set pieces and stunts and also there's just like a degree of vibes to this franchise at this point like Vanessa Kirby shows up in the movie do I remember exactly everything about her character from Fallout if I haven't seen it in a few years no but as soon as she gets here I'm like I'm in enough to the point where like yeah she can just come in here and chew on the scenery and it's just a brilliant fun ride and like what is this big villain that we're all worried about i don't really know exactly it's it's amorphous but it's it all like really comes together and works and the biggest thing to me is that it's just really fun like i my uh, bucket of popcorn was enormous adam i was just like uh stuffing my face uh, and drinking my Coke Zero and popcorn and just being like, yeah, I don't know what the deal with that submarine was, but I want to find out at some point. And then the way we get there, it just, I mean, like, you, you don't turn your brain off, but you're also just like, I'm going to become fully involved in whatever this is, even when I'm like, like, you know, I, I, why, why would I ask questions about this one thing that I have issues with? That's not part of it. That's not important. That's not why this exists.
1: Yeah, you just you've got to go along for the ride. What what kind of popcorn eater are you? Are you like a are you like a one at a time? Are you like a fistful of popcorn? Like what's? Um, I am.
2: Oof, I do not eat popcorn in a classy way.
1: you um... that's okay. neither do I. I think this might be like the least flattering thing I eat. Is just if if the lights were up and people were to watch me eat popcorn and be like, "What what is this savage of a man?"
2: Yeah, that's kind of the way I am. Like there. Popcorn gets on my person, like, as sure. I'm going through it. Like, I'm just... A lot of times... Now, peek behind the curtain. This, this is why you come to this podcast, not because Adam knows a lot about movies. You come to it for popcorn talk. Um, R.I.P. Leftover Popcorn. Yeah, um, well, it was the
1: name of the previous iteration of our pod, to be fair. Not that there's much leftover popcorn but it sounds of like a variety of us.
2: No, um, but, like, I will often just make it my meal for whatever time I'm watching that particular movie. Sure. So... So I'm crushing a lot of it. Like, you know, a, a medium popcorn, it's, it's getting put away. Um, You didn't get to see the heights of my ability in Milwaukee just because we were, like, between meals. So it was just like a a snack popcorn. Um, So, but, yeah. Well, that's we also,
1: I mean, we went to the Oriental Theater together in Milwaukee. A lovely theater, a very classy place. Yeah. Uh, that I feel like had, like, kind of classly and appropriately sized popcorn, or at least that's what I went for on that occasion. Yes. Uh, where... You know, take me to a multiplex that will give me a giant, like, basically something that's closer to a book at a popcorn. It's like, it's a long movie, like two hours, 47, or whatever like, Vision Possible yeah. Dead Record Part 1 is. It's like, yeah, I can I, I can go for that, and I'll you know, I might finish it early too. Who knows? Um, yeah, I got, I got sidetracked on the popcorn. Just just came to mind. Um, I do think there is something... I've i seen this movie a couple of times. I saw it myself release date and then I was with a Buddy last weekend and he had done a full rewatch like I attended to and didn't get to. And he made a point about that Vanessa Kirby character that just, like... Like, it had just evaded me, or if I knew it before, I'd forgotten about it, and it just wasn't essential, it doesn't really matter, and then it's like, oh, you know, after he said it, I paid attention the second time it was there in the movie. Do you, if I say that to you, and I think, considering you use that example, maybe you won't, do you know the lore of that character? Do you know the lineage? Can you situate that character in the Mission Impossible world?
2: Yes, I can, um her like aunt or mother i can't remember who it was was uh in the was in the first one right yeah
1: vanessa red Redgrave's character in the first one yeah you know i the first time like vanessa kirby became relevant in these movies and like that kind of comes together yeah i probably registered that i was like oh yeah okay and then i just like it's not important like it's not actually important It's not like you have to remember the specifics of, okay, well, what exactly all the bits and pieces of Vanessa Redgrave in the first film? I'd be like, okay, how do I get to that? Because that's got to be... I mean, in franchise filmmaking that kind of thing is refreshing in its own right that you don't have to have all the pieces together, even if there are some pieces together, even if, say, Henry Shirney is uh, reappearing in this film, having not been in the previous five. Um... I believe they got some more things planned like that for part two. You could say, oh, yeah, I, thought, I remember that person. You don't have to remember every specific detail or which Mission Impossible they came up in. um, And you just get on with it. And it's like, OK, we're along for the ride. It's it's Eden Hunt. It's the IMF. You know the music's going to play. We're going to have some laughs. We're going to get some trills. And what more can any of us really ask for?
0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: I mean, one of the things that I thought a lot about in this movie, I think I shared with this with you already, which probably isn't good for podcasts because you have to think on it. Um, One of the things I kept thinking about watching this movie is for some reasons I'll go into now for others I won't for spoilers. There is a lot of casino royale in this film to me. And just more generally, I'm like, Mission Impossible. I mean, not like coincidentally, because obviously it was a spy series, and even with its original timing when it came along in TV, part of it was in response to like James Bond Mania and although they've moved to very different places a very different paces over the years in terms of what those two uh, brands mean, it feels like the gap kind of closed. And obviously with Daniel Craig coming in, I think so much of what was talked about with Bond was, yeah, you need to reinvent Bond for the 21st century. It's got to become more physical, just kind of a different image to Bond than we've ever seen. And, the constant reference point, and one that's not like it's inaccurate for that, that people cited at the time, and I think still cited is Bourne. And um, the work Matt Damon had done, the Jason Bourne movies, and I think particularly, yeah, Doug is certainly in Bourne Identity, but beyond that, what Paul Greengrass had done in defining like the visual language of Bourne, the energy of Bourne. Uh, and there was always this idea. And for some who didn't like the Daniel Craig films early on, which I think was. Probably very few people would own up to that now. And there was like a, this is too, this is too much like Born. It's not Bond anymore. I think in reality though, and the more time has gone on, and I even think of the last Bond film, which I did not like very much. um, Bond has chased Mission Impossible harder. As we've got further away from Born, and as their kind of expansion and I guess relaunch didn't work at all. Um, as it's become, not, not like something that's forgotten, I think people feel very strongly and really like that trilogy, and I say they're right, they're really good and fun films. It just feels like Mission Impossible has been something that Bond has chased more. And when I watched this film, I felt Mission Impossible chasing what Bond had become too. And maybe just those two things have just become closer and they've aligned more so in terms of well, what does the big fun action? You know, what what does that what does that look like? It felt to me like there were beats here that were very reminiscent story wise, but there's also a certain energy, and I think you could even say with Mission Impossible, the vast majority of it might be, you know, might have some similarities to a a Daniel Craig era Bond but then it has the high camp of like Roger Moore bonds to go with it specifically with masks. And, you know, I I feel like there's, there's nothing more ridiculous maybe in all of cinema. And the fact that it manages to get people to suspend the disbelief over that and to go with it. And it works. is just, it's a testament to everyone involved, everyone on the crew, all of the cast, just the quality of filmmaking, the quality of the script. But I really was struck by it and I had this thought after seeing it once. I saw it a second time and I I just couldn't shake it. We did talk about this because I believe the observation you made to me was about Haley Atwell that, you know, she feels like she could be in a Bond film. She does. She could be in a Bond film. Would have been great in a Bond film. And maybe that is part of it. Maybe that's part of it even with Vanessa Kirby. You've got like all of these absolutely killer British actresses who are just like born to play these kind of roles in these kind of films where at one point they would have been in Bond you know maybe there's an alternate universe where like Simon Pegg instead of being Benji in Mission Impossible films he was Q at some point you know I could see how all of those pieces work and it just feels like pretty seamless in a lot of ways I don't know I don't know what my question is for that I guess you see any of that or maybe it's telling us something maybe it's telling us more about what works and there's something like so special and refreshing about when a film like this or some of the best of bond in recent years have come along it's like everyone really latches on there might sneakily be something that's a bit more formulaic about that too though and um, it just takes a really high level of execution to make that formula work you know behind and in front of the camera
2: yeah and I think, uh, like, there's a degree of thematic work that I think connects the last few Mission Impossible, or I guess for a, a few years in some of these films. This is more camp and less less uh, nihilistic, but there is a degree of, like, the Ethan Hunt, everyone you get close to is in danger because of the way you go about your business that is kind of in the same spirit as, like, uh, down bad James Bond that Daniel Craig was kind of playing with for a few years. Obviously, it's a lot lighter than some of the Bond stuff, but I can see that. And then when you talk about the formula of just kind of like how these films progress and the various missions and challenges, and oh, we gotta like, uh, do this to clear our name because the last time we did something and went rogue this now everyone thinks this about us and now everyone's labeling us as like terrorists that's kind of all connected and and when you think of like the double o roles in mi6 or whatever they're supposed to be um uh the imf is is kind of like spiritually linked to that it's like okay we're this random department of what's supposed to be like super agents but they don't talk about us and we like leave us a tape recorder and be like hey you know have at it and i don't know if you accept it or not but have a nice day i I can see how all of that kind of fits the same vibe and i kind of just from like a uh a narrative standpoint or something I i like your idea of like each of these uh film series just like taking turns uh kind of chasing one another that's a that's a very interesting uh thought process i mean we already know um that what was it uh the dark knight is basically the same movie as as skyfall so i I didn't want to
1: go i didn't want to go wrong god he's was saying but i i did i did think about him and i i meant to broach this topic with him because i know he's seen it of being like Ron, I gotta admit, I watched this Mission Apostle movie and I can't it. there's a lot of this is like Casino Royale. Uh
2: I did I did also want to say because he might act actually listen to this, uh, that, you know, our dear friend Rohan, who we love deeply and just was able to make me recall that reference, he might have killed the Barbenheimer meme with his tweet last night, Adam. So you might not ever have to see it again. He may have killed it dead. <laughs>
1: I saw that. We will not be making further reference to it on the podcast. (laughs) This is a family show. Um, All right. Will we? Will we move into talking more specifically about Dead Reckoning Part One? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Well, that means uh, is spoilers from this point on. So I guess if you haven't seen it yet, and you plan on seeing it, well, you've had some time, and you better put that to work. You're. Movie theaters are going to get pretty crowded with two other movies. What a day that could be in store for someone, though. I mean, it'd be a long day, but you haven't seen Mission Impossible yet and you want to go do a triple header. That's that's living. That's blockbuster living in a way that we don't see too often. Um, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning opens up in a Russian submarine uh, with a, like a very classically '90s trilling sequence of you know submarine warfare, with some high tech shenanigans at play. I get something like really old fashioned, old fashioned spy movie, definitely on the cheesy side. Certainly, you know, breaching all kind of limits of plausibility, but. It plays out and you're like, okay, yeah, here's Eaton Hunt. I'm ready. I'm ready to find out what all this is about, what's going on, get a sense of this film. What is going on, Andrew? Well, what is going on is the poor unfortunate men on the submarine at the start of the movie, they met their end because of a rogue AI known as The Entity. Turns out the future of warfare is not handing the keys over to AI. Because AI could take things into its own hand, Andrew. Uh, Topical movie. Very topical movie. Let's just start there. And we can spin into some of the conversations off of it too. What were your thoughts on AI as the big bad? Because it really... I know there is a character who is our villain... But the big bad is genuinely you know not a person um no offense to any AI listening skimming our episodes to try and create their own you know make time for this content what what were your thoughts on that and I guess the whole direction that that took the movie in
2: at first, I think I was a little jarred by it um because it is very much of the moment it's uh. It's um something that like I, it kind of felt like the same way in like the last few years where you like watch a movie where COVID is heavily featured, and you're like, I'm living this. This is too 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 real for me. But I really eased into it, and I think um there's enough enough like vagueness and just like all encompassing fear into what this entity is that I think it ends up actually working. Like I don't think it's perfect uh but i think if if you just embrace the fact that we live in a world right now where ai is the buzzword is omnipresent is in all different kinds of platforms all different kinds of industries and is something that causes great uh fear and anxiety about what it means for the future of humanity i think that um tying that into the action movie where like Okay, we've got these villains that are humans and then oh, now it's this un second unknown component that we don't know how we can stop, we don't know if we can control it, we don't know what this key does or does not do. We most of the characters don't know how to unlock what they have to unlock to figure out if they can control it. Um I think uh there's there's some other uh the same way the same way bo is afraid made me feel like okay this is perfectly encapsulating like what it is like to live with anxiety and think the world's out to get you this was kind of like translating that to anxiety about like the unknown of technology ai and what it means for us humans who feel useless to like even understand or grasp what the powers of this thing are
1: yeah i mean if if we're to get to the i guess the personified villain at least because uh, I, I think this is kind of interesting and I, we're probably leading here what's the least successful part of the film for me generally Morales um, plays Gabriel who works for the Entity I I have no understanding of how that's a thing how that came to be But again, like you just you go with that. You're going to have fun. So you don't need to get bogged down in that. Um, One of the interesting things about Gabriel, who is I think pretty like accurately. Painted out to be like a scary, intimidating individual from the start. It's like this guy is ruthless. This guy is one step ahead of everyone. They do something which is interesting which they bring in flashbacks and they make him a figure who set Ethan on the path to being in the IMF, who it seems like killed, I don't know, a former partner of his romantic, non-romantic, whatever, possibly both a long time ago. And we get this kind of flashback. Of young looking at Simon Morales, mm, not much younger looking Tom Cruise, but again, we all go with it. Supposedly, they they considered doing the aging stuff and they did tests and they did not like it. And you know what? In the movie about AI is the big villain, I'm in favor of not doing something like that, um, particularly after seeing the opening sequence of the latest Indiana Jones movie. But I will say, I had some issues with that because I just I kind of maybe like this is a two part thing which is worth noting and I mean second film in a while we've talked with it's on this Um, Verse when we talked about that we're like there's another part coming and people just gotta live with that and in some ways the endings are not the similar in terms of being cliffhangers I just don't know what was the need to Try to give Eaton Hunt more backstory at this point. It's like we've watched six movies with him, so people have built a backstory. Excuse me, built a backstory. Like, is there a need for anything else? Do you need additional relationships? Do you need an additional motivation? Do you need your villain to have something? some deep rooted connection to make them more intimidating or to make them more of this world. I was quite a strange choice. I'm not one that necessarily worked for me. I was glad that it wasn't kind of overemphasized, but at the same time, when they started that, I was like, huh, I just, is this necessary? Like this is a, this is a franchise that's now running what? 28 years or something like that. Was it 95 the original? Am I off with that? Ninety six, uh, I think. Ninety-six. Okay. Close. Twenty-seven years. It's like that's the backstory. Like, we're at a point where the backstory is stuff that people have seen. So to go beyond that, I thought it was interesting.
2: Well, for me, it was it was jarring in a the same way eventually. And then initially I was like, Is this something that I'm not remembering from one of these movies? Like, did we get that? Ethan Hunt backstory in one or two, I definitely would not have remembered because I'm pretty sure I've only seen that once or twice. Um so yeah, it was it made me rack my brain into thinking that I was missing something. Like it's it's not like the Vanessa Kirby being tied back to um the arms dealer or whatever, because like that just feels like a nice wrinkle added to the story. This was just like I don't know, it's like Why does that matter? He's just, like, uh, he's... The mysterious nature of his presence is what makes him a compelling villain. Like, I almost don't care about, um, like, his connection to Ethan. And for everything we know about Ethan, obviously, as this is uh, developed on, he's, and the group have continued to be like, yeah, this, our connection and our loyalty to one another is, like, kind of the things that we hold dearest in life. But also just in the given the nature of like how Ethan feels about this particular thing existing and how he's thinking about the greater good he doesn't need that personal connection to like feel like this new character is someone that he needs to like stop at all costs you know like so it did feel a little forced and like you said maybe something happens in part 2 where we change our feelings on this but for now it just uh did not feel necessary and uh you know I feel confused a lot Adam in my life and uh yeah it was definitely confused at the beginning of that when and then eventually I was like oh no there's there's nothing i'm missing here this is just something they're weaving into this for the first time
1: Yeah I mean even more so the first time we see Gabriel or not the first time we see the first time Ethan sees Gabriel he's yeah he, i guess he's scared immediately he's like oh things are bad so i guess that's the impact you get out of it I don't know if that how necessary that even was, particularly because you got a, quite a cool sequence where, you know, Gabriel is showing up like he's being deleted in real time from CCTV footage. Like that's the wider group's introduction to him. You know what? That seems like a pretty mysterious way to introduce your villain. Like that's that's already like okay, this guy is for real. He's got a lot of power. He's got a lot of stuff at his disposal. So, just a really interesting choice, and for Macquarie to go that way, and for Cruz to be like, yeah, let's dig deeper into... Uh, that can't just be there and left. I guess at some point we got to learn significantly more about that. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Just a, an interesting choice, and the kind of thing it feels like wasn't necessary, but they did. Um... It doesn't really do anything majorly to take away from the movie. It maybe doesn't make it feel as tight as some of the others. But, I mean, ultimately, I think what this film comes down to and what I want to spend the rest of the pod talking about, really, is the cast and the set pieces. And I think there's a whole variety across both fronts that's just so fantastic, so fun to talk about. I'll let you choose in which of those two directions we, we go first. Where, where do you want to go? What do you want to talk about?
2: Um. Let's go new edition. Because so I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cast. I, I thought you meant which member of the cast I wanted. to.
1: No, I meant with. I meant cast our set piece. So if you chose cast anyway, we can go with a new edition if you like.
2: Yeah, let's go with cast first.
1: You want to talk Palm Climat Is that what you're
2: going? Uh,
1: or who was your? I was experience?
2: going with, I was going with Haley Atwell. Um, because I think cool. she's. The, I'm good with that. I th- sorry, uh, it's been no, a long I'm day asking. for me, and Adam. I'm just asking. Uh, i
1: just. It's just an open question.
2: No, uh, I think Haley Atwell just fits in seamlessly, and it's just like a perfect infusion of, of of life into uh. The franchise not that it needed one but also just like you know adding new elements that and then they really work i think that's great i mean she's charming uh she's uh uh intelligent she's uh crafty and just like really uh like ethan kind of not meeting his match to a degree but just like really uh you know kind of adding some like a slap to his face so to speak how about that
1: yeah, she's great. She's gorgeous. I mean, I don't, not to be reductive, but Andrew's dancing around ways of saying like, there is a hole again in like that, that is part of like, I guess when we mentioned earlier, like feels like she could have been in a Bond film. She feels like exactly the kind of like modern Bond foil where it's like, oh, there's this clear chemistry and there's this spark, but also, you know, she working for the other side is she's actually pitted against Bond. Like we've, We've seen this played out quite a lot in Bond films of late, and that's exactly the dynamic of play here. She plays it to perfection. Um, An actress that I've got to say I've always liked, but has felt kind of wasted to me. I know a lot of people disagree, but she did get caught up somewhat in the Marvel industrial complex. And I don't know, maybe there's... Phases of her career that didn't quite get realized as a result of that. She obviously didn't feel like get a fair run of it as agent Carter in like the pre Disney plus TV show days. Um, that was probably not the time to get your own show in terms of exposure. Although I don't know, I guess that could be debated in a variety of ways. I will say in the captain America films, I always thought she was really good. Um, like, really, really good and pulled something from that and pulled something from Chris Evans that doesn't exactly exist in all those films, and particularly when it comes to anything where there is that element of romance. She's a great actress. Like, there's an element of screwball energy she can bring to it. She is very, very convincing in, like... A, it's not like she has big action set pieces. It. She's certainly a part of some massive action set pieces, but it's not like... She's this freakishly skilled. She's not the Palm Cam thief character, right? She's not like some kind of brutal warrior who's like the, where that's her primary function in the script. Her brain is is what she's doing the most damage with. And yet when she finds herself in situations where the stakes are high and the action is like intense, she's more than up to the task. Uh, really, really great casting. And Cruz is always a weird person to cast that kind of role, like love interest slash foil. And there was something there. There's like an actual believable spark or chemistry where it works. So yeah, I, I think the character Grace is phenomenal. And I don't know, is it like, is she long for this world? Is she long for this series if it continues to go on? Who knows? I mean, that's a tough question to answer. But I would hope so, because I think she's really, really fun and just like a perfect personality match to kind of add to the mix as part of as part of the IMF team, which is kind of where the movie leaves us in setting up where she should be in things, whether that ultimately proves to be the case. We'll see. Where do you want to go next? I
2: don't know if you want me to start. Uh. You know, basic or transition. Do, to a where core. do you
1: where do you want to go next? I feel like you're gonna overthink all of this too.
2: Well, I am myself, uh, always love to see Shea Wiggum show up in something. You know, as a as the guy hunting Ethan Hunt, thought he was tremendous, and uh, brings just you know his you know uh crusty to a degree like, buy the book, get the job done, lawman to the table, thought that really worked. Um, but, yeah, I, don't, I mean, I don't have too much more on him. Uh, the other newcomer that you mentioned, uh, I need to know how to pronounce that name. I thought she was a fantastic kind of just, like...
1: Palm Clamative? In,
2: yeah, just, like, in, in the shadows, like, like, oh, this, this badass could kill me at any moment. I really liked all of that. Um, but, uh, you are, yeah.
1: you are familiar with Punk Clemente's work, right? You know who she is.
2: Um, it's not, it's not coming to mind.
1: Like you, you are. Oh, yes, yes,
2: yes, 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 I absolutely
1: She is Mantis in your beloved Guardians of the Galaxy films. Oh, wow.
2: My, yeah, okay. Um, she's also an old boy. That's coming to the big screen near me soon. I gotta get my tickets for that.
1: <laughs> not, not that version. Oh, that's the Spike Lee version? It is. She oh. she was in the Spike Lee version. The original version. Okay. Coming to screen, well, then I There's will not see her, her go in and that. Check out. <laughs> you, will, you will not see her in Park Chan books, old boy. Um, but no, I mean... Guardians of the Galaxy is what... And again, the wider MCU world... Um, is what she has made her name in. Although, obviously behind considerable makeup and as a very distinct character with a very affected performance that it's kind of like, I'm not suggesting it's great to see the real Palm Clemente in this character. I don't think that's the case, but maybe just a step closer to that. And again, it's fun, kind of interesting, I guess, in its own right, like between Hayley Atwell and her and that kind of background in the Marvel world. They kind of, I guess they're familiar enough with filmmaking on this scale but they also maybe have somewhat been given short shrift from that world. And it's like, here's your chance, like go and let loose and go and really perform and show people what you can do. Uh, maybe there is something to the performance you get out of that in terms of that style of casting, whatever it is, it works. She is great as, you know, uh, uh, the henchman, the hench person, I guess, in this case, I've heard that character compared to uh, Richard Keel's Jaws from the Bond films, and there is certainly some of that energy to the performance um, and to how she carries herself, and it leads to some of the more thrilling sequences in the movie. Um, we talked to Asai Morales earlier, so we're really on to then the core returning cast members. That being Ving Rhames as Luthor, Simon Pegg as Benji, Rebecca Ferguson as Ilsa Faust. Did you mention Vanessa Kirby? I mean, she's also recurring. I did,
2: yeah. Uh,
1: earlier. Yeah. Um, Love Vanessa Kirby. <laughs> I, just, I don't have much more saying that. She is awesome. And I just, again, kind of weird career so far, like weird mix of roles where it's even like I want to be I want to know like what is the big what is the drama role that can bring her to a wider audience but also kind of bring the kind of acclaim that I do think she's a good enough actress for she has a big role coming in Napoleon later this year that could be it we'll see you know my relationship with Ridley Scott is we'll say hit and miss to say the least but listen joaquin phoenix vanessa kirby i've i can i can buy into that i can believe in that um but like pieces of a woman i don't know if you ever watched that film even or saw it like that was i did yeah like she's great in that kind of a harrowing film and it's like this isn't if you're going to be in the kind of the the movie that's going to get you into awards race that's the last of them that you want to be in. It's literally in the slot. You don't want to be in that film every year. And then what did she do last year? She was in the sun, which I have not seen because it was so widely derided. It was, I don't, I don't want to say a sequel, but it will say a thematic continuation of, and um, the ideas of the father and the film Anthony Hopkins won an Oscar for, but the sun was kind of very largely derided for what it was and how it handled the subject matter. She was in that. So it kind of feels like the two movies that would have positioned her to like have a breakout in a in a more serious sense, uh, have been very, very kind of misguided choices. And whether that was her or someone around her, I just would like to see better things come her way. Um, Mission Impossible is certainly a great thing to come her way, but she's fantastic. And like just very convincing like as toe to toe um i think the tone of it that kind of flirty playful thing she's got going on with Cruz. that scene in the club where she first appears like the the way she the faces she's making at people the intonations in her voice Like this is this is great like this is just kind of electric she's a really really strong performer in these movies um, yeah, I
2: I agree. Uh Hobbs and Shaw wasn't quite the dramatic breakout oh, show of it. See, would be. Well,
1: I wasn't wasn't thinking of that one either. Um Ving Rames, as Twitter has pointed out, Tom Cruise did him a favor many years ago so that he never has to stand up in a movie ever again. Ving Rames just gets to <laughs> sit down in in like, I don't know, back rooms, vans, whatever it might be give some great line deliveries have great chemistry with both Cruz and peg and uh just be a lot of fun as a character great performer all around Uh, what a gig
2: yeah weird airport spaces that no one ever goes in for whatever reason things like that like yeah uh he's fantastic in these i'll never tire of him
1: simon peg is another one where it's like simon peg doesn't really do stuff anymore (laughs) It's kind of a weird thing that's happened. I don't know, is there some connection to Mission Impossible that all these people are like, yeah, good, you know, I'll just do Mission Impossible from now on, and that'll work for me. Um I was trying to see, am I missing... Am I missing a whole bunch of stuff that Simon Pegg's done? Not really. His last four roles before this, Andrew, were all voice acting. Wow. Um, Is
2: is there a fourth Cornetto movie coming or no?
1: You've got to go back to a film I will admit I have not seen or maybe heard of called Inheritance, directed by Von Stein in 2020 for the last time he was on screen, not as a voice. Um, Lost Transmissions and Slaughterhouse Rules. They are his only other films since Fallout, which came out five years ago kind of interesting because someone who like is a really big deal um, and a really big deal in his own kind of creative sense and obviously the partnership with Edgar Wright he's great as Benji like I don't he's kind of a tough presence to cast it's like there is something about him that is very like sick commie comedic and you need you need a film where you can work in something that makes sense with that kind of tone for him to work This character, it works. They've dropped it in and it kind of retains something that's just like unmistakably Simon Pegg, um, but fits perfectly in the world of Mission Impossible. Ilse Faust, played by Rebecca Ferguson. Andrew, what did you think of Rebecca Ferguson's performance?
2: You know, I think uh, she's fantastic in in anything she does. I think uh, she's just got this like... uh, this simmering nature to her performance when she's like being uh hardened or gruff and then also just like the uh em- emotional uh connection she has to Ethan and whatever their you know relationship is as you know uh vague as it may be and i think uh yeah we put up the spoiler warning right adam yeah, did we? we did. I mean, we've got to talk oh.
1: about that part now. Spoilers <laughs> okay. again, like for for anyone who is listening, if you've not seen it, this is your spoiler warning. No no blame on our end after this.
2: It appears that Ilsa's time has come to an end. Being Mission Impossible and, you know, what can happen. Like we didn't see them bury her anyway, but we were pretty sure we saw her die. And I gotta say, I'm just like, in the theater I was unwell uh, seeing this go down. Um, but, you know, in these kind of movies, at, at a certain point, and I think that's happened a few times, that there has to be stakes. And, and Ilsa meeting her in. Maybe maybe one of those necessary evils. But, um, yeah, just uh, a big fan of Rebecca Ferguson in this, I guess she was in three films, does that sound right? Three or four? Um, three. Uh and then, you know, I, I look forward to seeing her on the big screen in Dune later this year.
1: Yeah, and that's, I mean, I, I know it's a TV show, so you haven't seen any I need to get back to. I quite enjoyed what I saw. She's one of the stars of Silo, the Apple TV Plus uh, sci-fi series, which got very good reviews and is indeed very, very good from what I've seen. She's got a lot going on. Like, she's become a big deal, one of the bigger action stars on the planet, even though I don't feel like it's necessarily a case that Rebecca Ferguson walks down the street anywhere in the world and everyone's like, oh my God, it's Rebecca Ferguson. Um, She's just exceptionally good at this. Again, someone who just, in a very different way to Haley Atwell, but could get on the same wavelength as Tom Cruise and make all of this work. Um, okay, that, that character was very really fun, and I think... I believe there has been some like very upset people about the fate of that character. Cause they feel like it's now essential to what the franchise is. I'll be honest. Don't see that. And um, to me kind of feels like, yeah, great character serves his purpose. And Rebecca Ferguson was great. We'll miss her. But like if Hayley Atwell is going to fall into that role and bring a completely different type of energy to change things up and maybe change the tone of the movie slightly, it's kind of a good thing when you're seven movies deep into a franchise and you want to keep things fresh. So, um, I just a great scene, like great send off, great way to go, and I think a climactic scene that will give continued importance to Ilse Faust's kind of in the larger kind of I don't know chessboard that is Mission Impossible. But uh, yeah. Well see, I do I don't think there'll be a fake out on this. I I think she's gone. I hope she's gone because there's a point, you know, we can all get on board with the masks. But if there's too many times where you're I mean, they did it in this movie. It's a real you know, not to not to could bring another movie into the mix here. Uh spoilers for is this The Last Jedi? Was it the, la- or was it the, was it Rise of the, whatever? What's the last one called? My God, it's really not a great uh, side The Last that Skywalker. That's right. The Last Skywalker. That sounds right. Um, was that the one where, like, a ship gets blown up on that we're supposed to think Chewie is on? Uh, oh, God, I have no idea. That might be, is that Force Away? Might- is that it? I, I it's one of those movies. It's not a great <laughs> sign. I'm as a, as things go. I'm a relative defender Not of the entire trilogy, but of those movies, um, that that moment pissed me off so much. I'm like, don't make the audience just. You cannot be like, yeah, Chewie died. What are you gonna do? And then be like, oh no, he didn't die. We got you. It's like, no, I didn't do it. Like, if you're gonna have the emotional moment, do it or don't do it. Kinda simple. And this film like fakes out in a way that felt immediately like it was gonna be a fake out to me, uh, with Ilse Faust at the beginning. So I don't think you can do that again. And then the start next one be like, oh, gotcha. So I'm assuming that that character is gone.
2: Yeah. I I love her, love the role, but they're there has to be stakes to things, Adam. Otherwise, uh, like the, the world doesn't matter. Uh as as the Fast and the Furious franchise really did not learn. But anyway, continue.
1: Tom Cruise, is he any good?
2: Listen, the man can deliver kind of uh uh campy one liner, the man can run, the man can do stunts. The man can make you think that someone as short as he and I am are cool. Uh, like, you know what? If for does, all that, the extra... does that
1: give you a special bond to him? Yeah, you know, maybe more than some other movie stars.
2: Yeah, because, you know, there's there's a lot of tough stuff you have to overlook to just keep, like, fist pumping these films. And, uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, maybe that's part but of you're the
1: like, You're like, maybe I, too, could, yeah, you know, ride a motorcycle off off a mountain and um yeah exactly Parach- like parachute I, onto a train
2: yeah it makes me more adventurous you know especially at his age like he's no spring chicken anymore and he just keeps getting after it like it's 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 impressive work
1: yeah but we're we're cooked
2: we I are mean, cooked. it makes it That's it makes fact. it
1: more impressive but it doesn't like it doesn't make me feel like yeah let's go ahead and try that let's Let's try to live our lives be more like Tom Cruise every day, which you know would would bring in, bring in a lot of complications in other areas. Uh, but I I also just think maybe a bad idea. I, maybe he's not actually a human. Maybe that's part of this. Who knows? Uh,
2: WW W W T C D. What would Tom Cruise do? Is that what you're
1: saying? Not exactly, but let's <laughs> let's go with that. Um, I want to talk to you some of the set pieces. We can maybe, we can go as simple as like, what's your favorite, or we can we could talk to you more generally. But let's start with what's your favorite. What was your favorite set pieces, maybe?
2: Um, favorite, I have two. Obviously, the uh, the humorous one. Actually, I'm going to pivot on the humorous one uh because they're the same scene basically uh so my favorite set piece is driving the dirt bike or whatever it is off the cliff like that's pretty fantastic and then the tail end of that where he just comes barreling into the train uh which is played for laughs to a degree so that was my favorite um the fiat through rome or venice i can't remember which it was at that point um was good really funny as they're like tumbling down the street while handcuffed to one another like that's a that's a good bit um but uh yeah i'll turn it over to you what was yours
1: uh the airport the the airport is my favorite i think it's it's some of the most impressive filmmaking in the film because you're just like it's it's not okay he's gonna drive a motorcycle off a cliff but it's really complicated blocking and it's just kind of classic it's classic spy movie stuff for me where i'm just like yeah this is cool this is like again to go back to the comparisons we made before it is born it is bond we've seen versions of that exact thing where they're scoping out of space and there's people closing in on them and they have to get to someone or something and there is something that's just kind of electric about that for me um, I like spy movies I like that kind of setup and it's very easy to just not do a good job of that and it's very underwhelming and it's a kind of a nothing scene it doesn't have the obvious trill or entertainment value of a massive car chase through the streets of Rome or a very very like a long what 40 minute long train sequence it doesn't have that built in that you're gonna be kind of interested regardless. And for me, I was like, I'm so in on this, and uh that's not generally my reaction to, you know, oh great, we're starting this movie out like with a large chunk in Abu Dhabi. Not generally the thing that gets me pumped to the with Andrew. One of my favorite cultural things just seem to be, you know, somewhat prisoner to the Emirati, but I really, really enjoyed that. Um, I, I think it was a great, great set piece that kind of sets the table very nicely for what's to come. As I said, you've got the cool element of uh, Gabriel being deleted in real time and the mystery of that. And you've got all the trills of the keys and you've got the pickpockets. It's like it's great character setup and introduction for Haley Atwell, for Gabriel. I just think it's really effective filmmaking. Uh I will add to that, I, I think the look it's great to get it extended and really kind of strong and interesting train sequence like that's you're going to mission impossible's routes and trains are something that brought back a number of times and i'm always for that um i i think that the chase through the streets of rome the car chase is really worth highlighting because like i the handcuff stuff you're talking about and like the jokes that come around that and so much of that it's like It is, like, classic. It is classic Keaton Chaplin-esque comedy. There's real chemistry and Verve. Parts of that remind me of, like, Peter Bogdanovich's What's Up doc and a car sequence through the streets in that movie. And it's, like, that's where it really starts to, like, pop and zing between Hayley Atwell and Cruise. And, like, the movie just comes alive. At that point, it's, like, I don't know who could not have fun at that. Who is not going to enjoy that? Was like they're just essentially racing around the the streets surrounding the Coliseum. Uh, you know, Colosseum still recovering from from the graffiti that our friend New left there. No, no more, no more comment. Ask New everyone if you want more detail on that. Um, but yeah, I, I mean they're they're the two for me, and I mean there is so much more. But I think in a very simple sense, it's easy to overlook the airport sequence. So I think that's really thrilling. And it's just like super smart, super aware filmmaking of what do we need is film to do? How is it going to work best? I think that is got to be the kind of the foundations of a film like this or a Bond film or a Bourne film. It's like, oh, you're making a spy thriller. You need some good sequences like that. I think that's a really strong one. And then I guess to me, The Streets is like, look, you bring some of what was in Paris in Fallout, but you're like, okay, well, let's level up with the comedy of this, and let's be really, really clever with the setup, and how do we make that really kind of take off and have an energy of its own? I think they do a great job. So, yeah, I really, really like this film. I mean, don't have a whole ton more, but it delivered what I want the Mission Impossible film to deliver, and I think that's really important. And um, we're certainly if we're in this point of the year where people are going to the movies, who don't usually go to them. I think it's a good thing if they have a good time and <laughs> uh, maybe they'll come back more often. I think people will have had a good time at Mission Impossible. I, I didn't personally get like I haven't for other, you know, recent Tom Cruise movies. I don't get accosted or welcomed, whichever applies for people by some sort of special Tom Cruise message when I arrive at the oh. theater. Um that's that's a US thing only, or well, it's not an Ireland thing anyway. Um but you know what? I'm I'm there when Tom Cruise decides to do stuff, which honestly, will he decide to do anything that isn't mission impossible in the near future or even the medium-term future? Probably not, unless he finally gets that movie in space going that he's so adamant and determined to do. But yeah, when he gets the band together to do this am i going to be excited yeah absolutely i'm very much looking forward to dead reckoning part two even though uh probably a long time away because i believe they have got caught up in some strike stuff that they're currently filming any final thoughts
2: uh, no, I think I agree with everything you laid out there. I mean, uh, pay your actors and writers is one thing that I would, uh, suggest, uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, good time at the movies, like, as you were talking about with, like, Barbie and Oppenheimer getting, like, this mainstream push, like, you know, let's just all just embrace what it means to gather together with friends and, you know, get together for just a big movie and go watch it. And, you know, Mission Impossible still going to be in your theaters for a while, I would assume. So if you haven't seen it and if you haven't seen it, you're probably not listening at this point because we spoil a lot of stuff. So, uh, yeah, if you have seen it, take on Barbie and Oppenheimer next because it might be relevant to this here feed.
1: Yeah, I don't. We haven't even decided. I mean, what we're doing. I think they should probably be two separate movies or two separate episodes. They're definitely two separate movies, in spite of people, you know, coming up with a uh, portmanteau. Right, that's when you put two words together. Um, what order will we do them in?
2: Um, I think we're probably going to do Oppenheimer first.
1: Okay. Next because week...
2: I will one hundred percent have seen Oppenheimer.
1: next week we'll do Oppenheimer I think we do Chris Nolan rankings too which might be easier for us to do without needing full rewatches absolutely I've already done parts of the rewatch thanks to a cinema adventure I had recently Um, and we'll work on some more for the next episode but I think we'll we'll talk Oppenheimer, we'll talk about Nolan generally Um, and then the following week and my God! By the following week, who knows what the like the take cycle has done? Where the discourse is at? But we'll talk about Barbie and we'll talk about Greta And I'm very excited for both. By the time this pod drops, I'm probably already in the middle of seeing one. Um, and yeah, I can't. I can't wait. I mean, <laughs> there's a a lot of people very excited. There's a lot of people very skeptical. I just think it's generally a good thing to have two movies with this level of excitement. And I mean, yeah, Barbie is IP. I guess we can talk in two weeks time about selling out versus not selling out and what that means now. Um, But it's not IP that we've seen on screen done to that. And if it is done in an interesting original way, I'm excited. The reviews for Oppenheimer have been incredible. I'm increasingly excited for that. So, yeah, we'll we'll talk to you about those movies. We'll see how they are. I'm ready. It's gonna be fun, Andrew.
2: I'm looking forward to it.
1: To make sure you catch both of those episodes and every episode of Make Time for This, subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. That's Make Time for This. Should also check out the rest of the GSPN network. GSPN network. That's redundant. The rest of the GSPN shows. We've got the main feed, the Eurostep Podcast Network, comes all things Milwaukee books. Eurostep with Ty Winish, Shabra and Wakadi, and Winning Six, myself and Jordan Tresky. We have Talk of the Tundra, our podcast for all things Green Bay Packers. New and Jordan were joined by Packers owner, Bart Winkler, for a particularly great episode in the last couple of days. Make sure you check that out. Got Cruising for a Bruising podcast for your red hot Milwaukee Brewers, Andrew and I. For all things Brewers there on our most recent episode we were joined by Ty Windish talk with the crew so you know things are going well make sure you check that out too that does it until next time thanks again to all of you for listening Thank you Andrew
2: Thank you Adam thank you movies.